Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We pray that as we reflect on Jeremiah now, that you help us to understand more of who you are and what you have done for us. Please help us to turn in faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. It's a very interesting book by the uh, English author C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. Uh, the, the title's a bit of a play on words from a title by, um, of a work by a guy called William Blake. William Blake wrote uh, a thing called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote a book about the great divorce between heaven and hell. The idea of the book is, uh, is that uh, there are some people who are in hell. They get to go on a bus trip to the foothills of heaven. So they go on this bus trip, and uh, while they're there in the foothills of heaven, all these people from heaven come to them and speak to them, and they say, please, just give up hell and come to heaven to be with us. They urge them to give up hell. But the interesting thing is this. For the vast majority of them, they won't do it. They are too attached to some kind of sin or some kind of idolatry. They don't want to go to heaven. Let me quote from an internet review of the book uh, some of the reasons why people won't give up hell in The Great Divorce. Uh, A bitter cynic predicts that heaven is a trick. A bully is offended that people he he believes beneath him are there. A nagging wife is angry that she will not be allowed to dominate her husband in heaven. All these people have got their reasons, got their sin that they want to hold on to. What do you think of that for an idea? The idea that people are in hell, or or will be when when hell exists after Judgment Day, people are in hell of their own free will. Uh, Even under the judgment of God, people won't turn away from sin and live God's way. Even under the judgment of God, people won't suddenly go, oh, I was wrong and and God really is wonderful and I should love him. Uh, They're still not going to want to live God's way in God's kingdom. In that sense, they won't want to be in heaven. I think I've often had the impression, perhaps you've had the same impression, that people who are in hell will be repentant. Once they see the judgment they're under, they'll turn away from their sin. They will want and long to be with God in heaven, like we're just saying. You know, I, 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 I long to be where the praises never end. I, I yearn to be where, where the glory never fades. I think I've often pictured people as, in hell as, as, as longing to be where the praises never end, yearning to be where the glory never fades. But, but it's too late and God won't let them. You might get that impression, for example, from from Jesus' parable of the ten virgins. You remember the the parable of the ten virgins who have to uh, keep lights for the the bridegroom who's coming, but some of them, five of them, don't bring extra oil and and their oil runs out and they have to race off to the shops and the bridegroom comes and and, and then they're not allowed to come in to the party. So they they stand at the door and they knock, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replies, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. You might get the impression from that people... People in the outer darkness, as Jesus calls it, are longing to be in heaven. In Roman Catholicism, there is even an idea of a kind of hell in which you get cleansed and prepared for heaven. It's called purgatory. In purgatory, supposedly, under the judgment of God, you get to repent and atone for your sin until you're ready for heaven. What do you think? Do you think that people who face God's judgment will repent. Or maybe for you, 
maybe for you this issue is actually a very personal one. Because you're sitting here this evening and you're not a Christian. And you're thinking to yourself, why would I be a Christian? Everything is going great in my life. Why would I join with those boring God-botherers? Everything is, everything is good here and now. Why would I want to turn from sin and ask Jesus to forgive me and be my king? I'm going fine. But you think maybe, maybe later on, if I need to, that's when I'll do it. If things get really bad, if I get sick, if I need to have someone to pray to, maybe on my deathbed. When you, you think when you're confronted with the judgment of God, then you figure you'll repent. Do you get the issue I'm raising? Will people repent when they face the judgment of God? Well, as we saw last week in the book of Jeremiah, the judgment of God has come upon the Jewish people. Jeremiah has been predicting it for 40 years. He said to his people, the Jews, if you keep disobeying God's word, you'll be conquered by Babylon, taken into exile for three generations. For 40 years, Jeremiah has said it. Now, in our reading in Jeremiah, it's happened. Chapter 39, last week we saw it. Babylon conquered Jeru Jerusalem and Judah. King Zedekiah, do you remember, had his sons slaughtered before his eyes and then he had his own eyes put out and he was taken into exile with the vast majority of the Jewish survivors. God's judgment has come. Babylon have taken control of Judah and they've appointed a man called, don't know exactly how you say it, Gedaliah or Gedaliah, something like that. Let's say Gedaliah. Gedaliah as governor. Now, Jeremiah is one of the few survivors left behind in Judah. And now what we're going to look at in this next section, we're going to follow what happens to Jeremiah and the other survivors. We're going to get a look at life after judgment. As we pick up the story, the Babylonian commander Nebuzaradan has found Jeremiah and he advises him to go and stay with the Babylonian appointed governor. Have a look with me at chapter 40 and verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 40 and verse 5. Before Jeremiah turned to go, Nebuzaradan answered, Go back to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has appointed over the towns of Judah, and live with him among the people. Or go anywhere else you please. Then the commander gave Jeremiah provisions and a present and let him go. So Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, at Mizpah, and stayed with him among the people who were left behind in the land. Now, Gedaliah has this policy of, uh, of cooperating with the Babylonian conquerors. And uh, as people come, to, uh, as people gather to him, he encourages them. Settle down, submit to Babylonian rule. You can't beat them, so let's join them. Let, let's make the best of life as slaves of Babylon. A whole heap of, come, whole heap of, whole heap of people come to Gedaliah and he speaks to them in verse 9. Verse 9, Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, took an oath to reassure them and their men. Do not be afraid to serve the Babylonians, he said. Settle down in the land and serve the king of Babylon and it will go well with you. I myself will stay at Mizpah to represent you before the Babylonians who come to us, but you are to harvest the wine, summer fruit and oil and put them in your storage jars and live in the towns you've taken over. It's a situation of, uh, of peace and stability. And this stable, stable situation, it encourages people from all over the place to come. They do settle down and God blesses them. The end of verse 12, they harvested an abundance of wine and summer fruit. Things are looking okay. But not for long. 
There's a soldier. His name is Ishmael. He's part of the royal line of Judah and he is not ready to submit to Babylon. No doubt he reckons Gedaliah, Gedaliah, whatever you want to call him, he's a traitor. He's a traitor for giving in to Babylon. Ishmael, Ishmael has entered into an agreement with the king of, of Ammon, the king of the Ammonites, to continue the rebellion against Babylon, to maintain the rage, to keep up the fight. Ishmael's got no time for wimps who want to accept Babylonian rule. And so Ishmael hashes a, hatches a plot. He starts off by killing Gedaliah and killing his supporters and killing the Babylonian soldiers who've been appointed in Judah. Chapter 41, verse 1. 41.1. In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, who was of royal blood and had been one of the king's officers, came with ten men to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, at Mizpah. While they were eating together there, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him got up and struck down Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, killing the one whom the king of Babylon had appointed as governor over the land. Ishmael also killed all the Jews who were with Gedaliah at Mizpah, as well as the Babylonian soldiers who were there. It's, it's a blatant act of rebellion. And uh, the situation gets worse and worse. It t- turns into a terrible bloodbath as Ishmael comes across more and more supporters of Gedaliah. He, he kills dozens and dozens of people, throws their bodies into a well, and he captures a whole heap of other people, and he heads off with them to Ammon. Verse 10, 41.10. Ishmael made captives of all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah. The king's daughters, along with all the others who were left there, over whom Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, had appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, took them captive and set out to cross over to the Ammonites. Some of the other surviving Jewish soldiers find out what's happened. They attack Ishmael. He escapes. But, uh, but they managed to rescue the people that he's taken captive. Verse 11. When Johanan, son of Kareah, and all the army officers who were with him heard about all the crimes Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, had committed, they took all their men and went to fight Ishmael, son of Nethaniah. They caught up with him near the great pool in Gibeon. When all the people Ishmael had with him saw Johanan, son of Kareah, and the army officers, army officers who were with him, they were glad. All the people Ishmael had taken captive at Mizpah turned and went over to Johanan, son of Kareah. But Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and eight of his men escaped from Johanan and fled to the Ammonites. Then Johanan, son of Kareah, and all the army officers who were with him, led away all the survivors from Mizpah, whom he had recovered from Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, after he had assassinated Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the soldiers, women, children, and court officials he had brought from Gibeon. And they went on, stopping at Geruth Kimham, near Bethlehem on their way to Egypt to escape the Babylonians. They were afraid of them because Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, had killed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had appointed as governor over the land. Can you see the situation they're in? So they've rescued these captives, but now they don't know what to do. This bloke Ishmael, he has killed the Babylonian-appointed governor. He has killed the Babylonian soldiers stationed in Judah. he's, he's, He's directly rebelled against the empire of Babylon. And so these guys, they assume, well, what's Babylon going to do? They're going to come and finish us off. So they come to Jeremiah and they say, 
can you please get God to tell us what to do? Chapter 42 and verse 1. 42.1. Then all the army officers, including Johanan son of Kareah and Jezaniah son of Hashiah and all the people from the least to the greatest, approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left. Pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. Jeremiah says, sure thing, that's what I'll do. And they promise that they take an oath. Whatever God says, we'll do it. We promise, 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 cross our hearts, not our fingers, cross our hearts and hope to die. Verse 5, 42.5. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it's favourable or unfavourable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us. For we will obey the Lord our God. Jeremiah goes away, prays, asks God what they should do. Ten days later, God tells him, God says, you don't need to worry about Babylon. I'm going to have compassion on you. Just settle down, stay where you are. Verse 7. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he called together Johanan, son of Korea, and all the army officers who were with him and all the people from the least to the greatest. He said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition, says. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I am grieved over the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. See the message? Perfectly clear, isn't it? God's told them exactly what they should do. He says, stay where you are, settle down. He, He says... He goes on to say, the one thing you must not do is go down to Egypt. That's, do stay in Judah, do not go to Egypt. If you do this, God says, you will die. Verse 13. However, if you say, we will not stay in this land, and so disobey the Lord your God, and if you say, no, we will go and live in Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the trumpet or be hungry for bread, then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you are determined to go to Egypt and you do go to settle there, then the sword you fear will overtake you there. And the famine you dread will follow you into Egypt and there you will die. Indeed, all who are determined to go to Egypt to settle there will die by the sword, famine and plague. Not one of them will survive or escape the disaster I will bring on them. God's word perfectly clear unfortunately the people have already made up their minds they're heading to Egypt verse 19 a remnant of Judah the Lord has told you do not go to Egypt be sure of this I warn you today you made a fatal mistake when you sent me to the Lord your God and said pray to the Lord our God for us tell us everything he says and we will do it I've told you today but you still have not obeyed the Lord your God and all he sent me to tell you. 
So now be sure of this, you will die by the sword, famine and plague in the place where you want to go to settle. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. The people disobey God. They head off to Egypt. Chapter 43, verse 1. When Jeremiah finished telling the people all the words of the Lord their God, everything the Lord had sent him to tell them, Azariah, son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, son of Kareah, and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, You are lying! The Lord our God has not sent you to say, You must not go to Egypt to settle there. But Baruch, son of Neriah, is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Babylonians so they may kill us or carry us into exile to Babylon. You can just imagine Jeremiah at this point, can't you? Forty years I've been telling these people to do what God says. Forty years, and it is still going. Verse 4. So Johanan, son of Kareah, and all the army officers and all the people disobeyed the Lord's command to stay in the land of Judah. Instead, Johanan, son of Kareah, and all the army officers led away all the remnant of Judah who'd come back to live in the land of Judah from all the nations where they'd been scattered. They also led away all the men, women, and children, and the king's daughters whom Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, had left with Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. And they also led away Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch, son of Neriah. So they entered Egypt in disobedience to the Lord and went as far as Tarpanes. All right, that's where we'll stop this evening. Next week you can spend some time with Warren in Egypt with these people. But uh, can you see what's here in these chapters, in this section? God's judgment has come onto Israel. Babylon has defeated the Jews. Now we're following these people in life after judgment. We're following Jeremiah and the few survivors who are left in the land. And it's just one disaster after another. They start off under Gedaliah, trying to make a life within the Babylonian Empire, just as God's told them to do through Jeremiah. But Ishmael wants to maintain the rage, to keep up the rebellion, so there's assassination and mass murder and all kinds of plots and intrigue. Ishmael's defeated, but then the people in... And it's just, it's just, it just takes a whole chapter to make this very simple point because it is such direct and utter and complete disobedience to God, in direct disobedience to the word of God through Jeremiah they head off to Egypt. Complete nightmare from beginning to end. But the thing that stands out to me is this. The Jews are no different after God's judgment than they were before. They haven't changed at all. They're just as hopeless, just as pathetic, just as rebellious to God after he's judged them as they were before he judged them. God's judgment has not brought repentance. Do you know what? I reckon, as readers of Jeremiah, this should not be a surprise to us. Do you remember, do you remember way back in chapter 24, do you remember the vision that God gave to Jeremiah of the two baskets of figs? You remember that vision? There was one basket that was full of all really yucky, horrible figs and there was another basket full of good figs. Do you remember what, what the yucky figs were? It was the people who were going to be left behind in Judah and Jerusalem. God says they're, they're, they're like yucky figs. They're, they're, not going to, they're not going to obey me. They're going to be destroyed. But you remember there were also the good figs. The good figs, do you remember who they were? They were the people who were taken into exile in Babylon. God said... They're going to be like the good figs. He says he's going to bring them back to Judah and he promises that he will do something for them. Something that would enable them to repent. Something that would enable them to, to love God. Something that would enable them to be his people and be able to stay with him in the promised land. God said in chapter 24, he said, I will give them a heart to know me. 
But remember chapter 31. If you remember anything from this series in Jeremiah, remember chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, critical verses in the Bible. God talks about how he'll make a new covenant with his people. He promises that he will forgive them and he promises to change their hearts so that they will know God, so that they will want to turn away from sin and idolatry, so that they'll want to love and worship God. It's no great surprise to us that these people here in our passage are unchanged. It's no great surprise that they still disobey God's word. It's no great surprise that facing God's judgment hasn't fixed them because they've got exactly the same hearts they always had. Judgment wasn't going to bring repentance. What they needed was God to mercifully give them a new heart. Friends, you know what? People haven't changed at all. People today are exactly the same as people in those days. The Bible's perfectly clear about this. Unless God gives you and me a new heart, we will not repent. Not only will we not repent, we cannot, cannot turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8. He says, Our sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by their flesh, that is their natural, sinful, normal human nature, those controlled by their flesh cannot please God. We can't do it. We can't turn away from sin. We can't love God. We can't please God unless by His Spirit He works a miracle of new creation in our hearts. Friends, as we've seen, this is part of what is so good about the good news of Jesus. I reckon it's one of the best things about the good news of Jesus. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, he says, If we belong to Christ, then we have the Spirit of Christ. And if we have the Spirit of Christ, we're no longer controlled by our sinful nature. Instead, the Spirit helps, to, helps us to fight against the sinful nature. The Spirit helps us to be unsatisfied with life here on this earth. The Spirit helps us to turn from sin and serve God. And the day will come, Paul says in Romans 8, when that same Spirit will raise us from the dead and transform us completely into the people we were meant to be all along, the people who do love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. at the beginning we asked a question will people repent when they face the judgment of God I think from what we've seen in Jeremiah we've got to say the answer is not necessarily not necessarily and it's something we see over and over again in the New Testament as well there's only one thing that will make people want to turn away from sin and serve God and that is if God, by his spirit, gives them a new heart. Friends, I reckon this has got, this has got very, um, very important implications for our doctrine of hell. Uh, God can do what he wants in people's hearts. God, he, God can save anyone he wants from anywhere he wants. And, and I take it from what Jesus says, that hell, hell will be a place filled with regret. Hell will be a place filled with sadness. People are not going to be, they're not going to want to be in that place that Jesus calls out of darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But I don't think we should picture hell as being full of 
can I put it this way, as being full of Christians. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we should picture hell, I don't think we should picture people in hell as hating their sin and loving God and and, and loving Jesus, their Lord, and, and just wishing they could be with God in heaven. I don't think in hell they're singing, I long to be where the praises never end, I yearn to dwell where where the glory never fades. I don't think that is the picture at all. No, I think it's much more like what C.S. Lewis imagines in his book. In hell, people are going to hate God even more. They're going to be even more stubborn, even more angry. I reckon that gnashing of teeth is them hating God. There's no hope in the Bible of hell being like the Roman Catholic idea of purgatory. People in hell are not being prepared for heaven. Why? Because it's not judgment that leads to repentance. No, no. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God has kindly given Jesus to die and rise again, to pay for our sin, to give us God's Holy Spirit so we can be part of of Jeremiah's new covenant where our sins are forgiven and our hearts are changed. It is only with that new heart that we will want to be God's people. Friends, let me finish by saying this. I hope you're not waiting to put your faith in Jesus. I hope you're not putting it off. I hope you're not thinking, look, everything's going fine, and while everything's going fine, I don't need it. I hope you're not thinking, I'll worry about putting my faith in Jesus later on if I need to, if things go wrong in my life, if if I'm facing sickness and and I need someone to heal me, if I'm facing death, if, if I'm confronted with the judgment of God, that's when I'll put my trust in Jesus. Friend, I've got to warn you, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Today is the day God commands you to turn from sin and rely on Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here and you feel like, I don't think I can do it. I don't don't think I've got it in me. You might say something like, and somebody said these very words to me just the other day. He He said, I wish I had your faith. You don't want my faith. What you want is my saviour. That is why Jesus died for you. To forgive you and to change you, to give you the new heart that does hate sin and love him. Here and now. Hell is not the place for repentance. The future isn't the time for repentance. When things go wrong isn't the time for repentance. The time to put your trust in Jesus, to turn away from sin, is now, today, here. So do it now, today. Call on God to forgive you and give you the new heart you need. Know his kindness to you. And now, turn from sin. Put your hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that Jesus has done everything that it takes for us to be in heaven with you. Thank you that he's lived the life we should have lived. Thank you that he's died on the cross to pay for all our sin. Thank you that you've raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand and poured out your Holy Spirit who can give us the hearts we need to turn away from sin and trust Jesus. Heavenly Father, will you please graciously Grant us 
the repentance and faith that we need. Will you please grant us perseverance so that we hold fast to Jesus all of our days. Father, we do long to be where the praises never end, yearn to be where the glory never fades. Father, we long for that day and we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.